Jesus is not about to heal a disease. He's about to reverse a sentence from God. That's what cleansing the leper is. Verse 40, let's pick up the text now. From verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, he said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So the pathos of the story is just so thick. You can just sense, it's just palpable, the the emotion and the pain and the anguish of the story's events as they unfold before. So we're told in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us the same story in chapter 5 of Luke, that Jesus was in one of the cities. So it's not in Capernaum. Remember, he left Capernaum because all the healing had created such a stir, the big night of healing there. And so the father directed him to leave. And so he's left Capernaum. He's in another city somewhere in the area. And as he's in the city, you can can imagine now, we said last week that beginning from verse 38 forward, Jesus will never be alone again unless he purposely and intentionally seeks it in the early morning hours or in the late evening hours. Other than that, Jesus, from that point on, he's going to have a crowd clamoring around him. He's going to have people listening to his teaching. He's going to have people asking him questions. He's going to have people challenging him. He's going to have people asking to be healed. And so you can imagine the scenario. Wherever Jesus is at this point, he's got a crowd of people around him and they've flocked around him. He's been teaching. He's been telling parables. He's been giving people instructions. People are coming asking to be healed. There's demon-possessed people. There's been battles with the kingdom of darkness. All this is going on. And here comes this leper. Now, in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verse 12, I believe it is, Luke, the physician, tells us that this man was full of leprosy. So that tells us, once again, that this was not just a passing case of of a bad case of eczema. This was the full form of leprosy, and it's much advanced. So this man likely has been a leper for years. It's been years since he had a conversation with a person. It's been years since he touched another person. He has had rocks thrown at him, sticks thrown at him. He's had dogs bark at him. He is the epitome of the one cast out. In addition to that, we can only imagine what his body probably looks like. Perhaps his feet are gone or half gone. And so walking up to Jesus would not have been easy. Perhaps he's stumbling. Perhaps he has a a crutch under one shoulder. And here he comes stumbling up to Jesus. And the crowd around him is so enthralled with Jesus. They can't stop talking to Jesus and listening to Jesus because they're so enthralled with what he's saying. There's requests for healing. There's all these things going on. And so probably he comes up without the crowd even noticing. Can you imagine that? That they're so attentive to Jesus that they don't even notice this leper coming up and hobbling up into the crowd. But then somebody either sees him or smells him. And can you just imagine the gasps? Probably several ladies scream. Men begin picking up rocks to throw at him and sticks to start 
beating him and driving him away? How dare he come near not only them, but how dare he come to Jesus? And as this chaos is beginning to break out in the crowd and and there's screams and gasps and, and here's this leper. One moment ago, he had people near him. Now the crowd has vacated around him and people are leaving to get away from him. And here he comes into Jesus' presence. And we hear these words. We're told that he implores and and we're told that he kneels. So he comes into Jesus' presence and drops to his knees. Matthew tells us he calls him Lord. And he drops to his knees and implores Jesus. Master, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can free me from this curse. If you are willing, you can set me free from my misery, from my agony. You can make me alive again. And as he makes this imploring request to Jesus, kneeling before him, as he's looking up to Jesus, he he hasn't been this close to another person in years. And we can imagine... As Jesus, we don't know if Jesus is going to kneel with him or bend over, maybe bend over his head, maybe put his hands on his shoulders. We don't know. But for the first time, he looks into someone's face and he doesn't see revulsion. He doesn't see disgust and he doesn't see hatred for the first time in years, imploring him, You can make me clean. There is something to be said about the boldness of his faith, the audacity, if you will, of his faith. There is a certain confidence. There's a certain desperate hopefulness to his faith. As he comes to break the law, he's breaking the law to come into Jesus's presence. And yet he's audacious enough to do just that. You know that the scriptures particularly the New Testament, will teach us something about a type of faith that out of its hopeless condition comes this boldness to ask that which is audacious. You know the Scriptures commend that to us on numerous occasions. Think of the Syrophoenician woman. In her hopeless condition over her demon-possessed daughter, remember she's the one that Jesus calls her a dog. And she says, but all this dog needs is a crumb from your table, Master. And Jesus commends her faith. There's a certain something about a type of faith that's, that's a boldness that's coming out of a hopelessness that sees as G- in Jesus the only hope. And it's coupled together with the boldness to ask for the unaskable. Or think of the, the centurion whose servant, Jesus, you don't even need to go there. Just say the word. Or blind Bartimaeus. Jesus is walking by. Son of David, son of David, have mercy. And everybody around him, shut up. Shut up. Son of David, have mercy. Shut up. Son of David, have mercy. He won't shut up. There's something about that kind of a faith that looks behind it and sees sees the wall on its back and sees no other options and looks to Jesus and believes and then has the audacity to ask the unaskable. If you will, you can make me clean. Look in your handout at Luke chapter 5 and verse 
I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Or Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. We're familiar with this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Or Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. So this audacious sort of boldness to ask the unaskable because of the hopeless condition. Let's be careful not to confuse this with something the Scriptures condemn. Something that our modern era calls something like uh, name it and claim it. If we're all familiar with this sort of name it and claim it theology. Name it and claim, claim it theology differs from this in at least one significant way, and that's this. Name it and claim it theology views faith as something like a fulcrum. That if you have faith, you can use that faith to leverage against God. Something like, I don't know, think about getting God in a headlock, like the headlock of faith. You get God in this headlock of faith. I got you, God, because I got the faith. I got the faith, so you got to heal me, God. That's name it and claim it theology. Do you see how this differs from that? Do you see how the leper says, Master, I don't doubt your ability. You have the authority. You have the power. You can do this. But I don't presume to know your will. I don't presume to know what you desire to do. I do acknowledge your power and I acknowledge your authority. And I call upon that, but I don't know your will. You see how that differs greatly from saying, I've got the faith, God. Whenever you see faith, you got to heal. So this is the boldness of his faith as he comes. But then notice there is just going to be a stunning turn of events. Again, from verse 40, he says to him, imploring and kneeling, he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. This is an absolutely stunning turn of events. And it's stunning for at least three ways. Three ways, all three of these are easy to miss if we're not careful. But in three ways, we just saw a declaration of the deity of Christ. Now, we have heard declarations of His deity before in Mark. We have heard from the lips of the man possessed of the unclean spirit in the Sabbath. You are the Holy One of God. I know who you are. We've heard it from the lips of the Father Himself in the baptismal waters in the Jordan. This is my beloved Son. We've heard it from the baptizer. We have heard declarations of the divinity of Jesus already. However, this is the first time that we hear it from Jesus Himself. In at least three ways, Jesus is declaring to us something absolutely stunning. He's declaring to us, I am God. Number one, here's what He's doing. We said earlier that leprosy for the Jew... It's not so much a disease. It's a sentence from God. Jesus is not about to heal a disease. He's about to reverse a sentence from God. That's what cleansing the leper is. Cleansing the leper is undoing a sentence of God upon a sinner. Only God can do that. You know what this is preparing us for? The very next story, as Jesus will say, Your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God? Well, how about you get up and walk then? Jesus is declaring by saying, 
I will be clean. He's saying, I have the authority to take this judgment placed upon you by God and remove it because I am God. That's number one. Number two, we see Jesus declaring His divinity because Jesus is declaring Himself to be Lord of the law. You see, we know that it was unlawful for the leper to approach other people. But one thing that might escape us is that not only was it unlawful for the leper to approach people, it was also unlawful for people to approach a leper. It was law-breaking both ways. Both people broke the law. And so by allowing the leper to come to him, Jesus is not only allowing him to be a lawbreaker, Jesus himself is violating the letter of the law. And by so doing, he's upholding the spirit of the law and declaring himself to be the Lord of the law. As he's going to say in chapter 2, he's going to say, yes, the letter of the law says that you shouldn't pick grain on Sabbath, but my disciples are hungry. And so the spirit of the law says that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he's going to declare himself to be the Lord of the law. He's going to declare himself to be one who can set aside the letter of the law in order to fulfill the spirit of the law. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. As we know, he came to fulfill the law. Mark chapter 2 and verse 28. Again, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Or Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Romans 10 and verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus Christ, in fulfilling the spirit of the law, has the authority to set aside the letter of the law. Think of it like this. I'm going to borrow an illustration from R.C. Sproul because this works wonderfully. Think of it like this. Think of like a, an accident at a crossroads, the, the, the traffic light down the street. Just imagine that there's a, an accident in the middle of the intersection. And you come up to that intersection, and just a few minutes earlier, there was, there was this head-on collision right there in the middle of the intersection, and the cars are still there. And what do you see in the middle of the intersection? You see a police officer. And what's he doing? He's directing traffic. And so he looks at you, and he tells you to come on through. And as you're about to come through, you look up, and the light is red. You ever been in that situation where you sort of there's that little bit of uneasiness? I know he's telling me to come on through, but... I'm just not I'm accustomed to driving through red lights. That's like what's happening here. The traffic policeman has the authority to say, yeah, that traffic light is the law. But I also have the authority to supersede that in the spirit of the law, which is to get people safely through the intersection. In a similar way, Jesus is saying, yes, that's what God handed down. But in the spirit of the law, I set that aside and I allow him to come into my presence because the Son of Man is the Lord of the law. So that's two. Number three, the third way that Jesus is declaring who he is here is in his words. Notice what Jesus didn't say. I'll take this to the Father. I'll pray for you. I'll plead on your behalf to the Father. Nor did he even say what Elisha's servant, the message that Elisha sent through his servant to Naaman. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Nor did he even say what God said to Miriam to go outside the camp for seven days. What Jesus said was, I will. Can you imagine 
to the Jewish ears, knowing that this leprosy is a sentence of judgment from God, and to have Jesus say, I will. I will. I desire this. I wish this. This is my desire. Be clean. So this is a stunning declaration of the divinity, of the deity of Jesus. But also, this shows us something of the power of the master, of the limitless power of the master. He says, I will be clean. Now, if we continue in the passage, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him. There's Mark's favorite word once again. Immediately the leprosy left him. So how do we know the leprosy left him? Well, the only way that that seems to make sense to me, this immediately the leprosy left him, the only way that seems to make sense is that all the effects of it were also gone. So like all the other healings, this is not a healing, this is a cleansing, but all the other healings, just like this, the effects are immediate and total and complete. When Jesus heals, the healing is though is as though the sickness never was. When Jesus restores, it's though the deformity or the blindness or the deafness never was. It was immediate and it was total. In the same way, this leper, I believe that if he was missing fingers, the fingers were back. If he was missing feet, the feet were back. His skin was pure again. His ears were back. His nose was back. It was immediate and total because no uncleanness can stand in the face of the Messiah who says, I will be clean. There is no uncleanness. There is no sickness. There's no illness. There's nothing that can stand in the face of Jesus saying, I will therefore be clean. So we see something of his limitless power here. This is a picture for us of the resurrection that is to come. Remember, he's as one dead. He's the dead who's not dead yet. He's the living dead. But now he's been raised back to life. In the same way, this is showing us a picture of our resurrection to come. Not just our bodily resurrection, but the resurrection, the spiritual resurrection of the one who's made alive to God. But we also see something here of the limitless compassion of the Messiah. Look once again, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. So just imagine, let your, let your thoughts kind of rest for just a minute on how this interchange probably took place. As he's kneeling here before Jesus and imploring Jesus, my guess is he probably had a difficult time looking at Jesus. He probably just wanted to avert his eyes and look down. I don't know. But once he looked at Jesus, what do you think he saw? I think their eyes locked. And for the first time in years, somebody looked him in the eye. And you know how much you can tell by looking in someone's eyes? What did he see in Jesus' eyes? He saw compassion. For the first time in so long, he saw a face that wasn't offended by him. For the first time, he, he saw a face that wasn't angry at him. He saw eyes full of love and compassion. And as Jesus looked into his eyes, he saw fear, trepidation. If he says, no, there is no hope. If he says, no, this is the end. I'm just going to die. 
And as they looked into one another's face, into one another's eyes, it was just this moment of intense compassion that his defining characteristic was his characteristic of compassion. His heart ached for the pain of this man kneeling before him. And so he pronounces him clean. Now, the leper had to ask Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And as we said, his condition of leprosy is the physical representation of our hearts apart from Christ. But one thing that's different here is that though the leper had to ask him, if you're willing, we don't have to ask Jesus that. Because he's told us abundantly in his word over and over, I am willing. You don't need to ask. I am willing. Just listen to all the times that this comes to us in the pages of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John chapter 6 and verse 37. I'm using the King James here because the King James language is just golden as it rephrases this sentence from Jesus. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. No one will come to me and be cast out, says Jesus. If you come to me, you will not be cast out. Revelation 21 and verse 6, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Isaiah 55 and verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. John 7 and verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We don't have to ask, Jesus, are you willing to receive me? He says, all that come to me will be received. So we see something of his compassion, but we also see something of his preciousness. This is a passage that shows us the preciousness of the Messiah in very clear terms. But to see the preciousness, you have to be looking from the right perspective. We've said before that every, every story in the pages of Scripture invites us to put ourselves in the story. Every story you read in the Gospels, every story you read in the Old Testament, the book of Acts, they all invite us to put ourselves in the story. The important thing is to put yourself in the right place. Because oftentimes we put ourselves in the story, we just put ourselves in the wrong place. In this story, it's crucial that you put yourself in the right place. The natural place to put yourself is in the crowd. The disciples who are following Jesus, listening to His teaching, clamoring for His miracles... And then this leper comes and then Jesus cleanses him. And we're amazed and praise God, glory to God. We are not part of the crowd. You must not see yourself as part of the crowd. You must see yourself as the leper. Because if you see yourself as the leper, Jesus will be precious. If you see yourself in the crowd, Jesus will be amazing. He will be incredible. He will be powerful. He will be intriguing. He will be interesting. But He won't be precious. He will be precious if you are the one on your knees coming to the Master and saying, you are my only hope. I have every belief that you are able. If you will, will you cleanse me? Will you make me clean? And to the leper on his knees or on her knees, Jesus is so precious. Notice how the leper, in order to come to Jesus, 
Notice what he had to do. He couldn't deny his leprosy, could he? Can you imagine the leper saying, ah, this is just a really bad case of dry skin. This must have been something I ate. But no, that, the priest was wrong. The priest was wrong. I'm not a leper. Can you imagine that? There is no cleansing for that one. There is no cleansing for the leper who denies he's a leper. Cleansing is only available for the leper who comes and says, I am the leper. And to that one on their knees, Jesus is precious. Look in your handout at the words of Richard Sibbs, who puts it this way, the deeper our thoughts are of the odiousness of sin, the deeper our comfort and joy in Christ will be after. Thomas Watson puts it even more succinctly, and I think more memorably when he says, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until you are the leper, Christ will not be sweet. If you're the crowd sort of tag, tagging along, Jesus will not be sweet. If you're in the crowd sort of tagging along, Jesus will hold your interest. Jesus will be the one who hands out miracles and multiplies food and calms storms, but he won't be precious unless you are the leper. <laughs> 